On today's episode of The Poolside Genius, we switch things up a little bit with Reams on vacation, enjoying that beach weather at Jersey. We have DJ Eric here talking with us about minor league baseball, talking to us a little bit about the media, talking about Urban Meyer's coaching, and the NFL, and also taking a look at lots and lots of different movies, TV shows that might be of interest to you. Hey, so enjoy the show. Listen, give us a five-star review, call in. Do anything you can to let us know that you're appreciating the show or anything that we can do better. All right, here it is. This is Poolside Genius, where we always make a splash. On today's episode of the Poolside Genius, we are sitting here with DJ Eric Scarcella as our co-host because Reams is on vacation and we are in the Bender Theater instead of at the poolside so i do apologize for not being at the poolside and staying true to our name but we are deviating a little bit anyway dj eric he is he or he was my best man at my wedding and he has quite a varied history obviously uh working at times for the reading phillies and doing a lot of advertising and marketing that sort of things uh so he's here today obviously a movie goer and big time sports fan dj thanks for having me i i can't can honestly say, uh, watching you do the intro live brings such great joy, <laughs> joy to my face. It was trying to contain all my laughter. Why? Why? What? What do you mean that brings joy to your face? I don't know you're like a, a really bad pro wrestler or something doing his promo in front of the ring. Well, Bobby Lashley was always <laughs> one of my favorite wrestlers. You know what I mean? So he really, you know, I'm not really deviating too much no, from my uh, heroes. I'm happy to be. I'm happy to be on the. It's not poolside genius. It's in Bender Theater tonight. I'm happy to be on, and um, I'm glad that you're doing this podcast. It's been a, it's been a fun way for you to spend your summer, and I can't wait to see what happens when you go back to school. Hey, it's it's gonna happen. It's gonna keep going because uh, we're really big fans of doing the podcast, getting out to all of our listeners and such. Now, one of the things I wanted to ask you, obviously you were the director of public relations for the Reading Phillies or the Reading Fightins, and you know even one uh, writer or one fan of the Reading Fightins, once called in, or not called in, I'm sorry, wrote an editorial about calling you Dumb and Dumber with Scott Hunsaker. Like, how, how did that feel seeing your name in the newspaper? Like, wh- even, the, you know... Well, you know, yeah, being the uh, director of public relations was is a big, big opportunity. I think a lot of people, um, you're one of the few faces of the franchise when it comes to that. So, obviously, when we did the rebranding in 2013... Um, there were a lot of hard feelings, I think, that people felt in the Reading area. Um, I think it's a great thing because it's, you know, it's one of those things as if it got no reaction, you'd be much more worried. So um, the people had a lot of passion, I think, is what we, we were saying at the time. Um, but I do think, I mean, you know, it's it, it's something that I'll never forget. It's something that uh, I know in our friend group that we uh, certainly don't um don't forget because I hear it every day from uh, Dan Sinowitz. But um, it, it's it's funny. I, 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 there's a lot of good memories. I think looking back at the in the baseball. But like, what was what was that first reaction? I mean, did did you did other people tell you, or did you read it first yourself, or what? I mean, there was a lot of stuff going around at that time. You know, people posting on our Facebook and writing in messages. Um, so some of it was funny. Some of it I saved other times, like, you know, it would go in one ear and out the other. Um, and I don't read the editorial every day. So I think some, one of my friends, I'm sure it was Danny 
flagged the editorial or an aunt and uncle flagged it. Um, so, you know, the funny thing was, you know, it, it used to sit on the uh, the refrigerator at my parents' household um, saying, you know, Eric and Scott, Scott, the general manager. But since we were both out there um, doing a lot of the media, you know, we were labeled Dumb and Dumber. But Dumb and Dumber is a great movie. And so, I'm glad to uh, I'm glad to have been recognized as either the Jim Carrey or Jeff Daniels of uh, that group. So as the, as the director of public re- relations, did you really have a role in re- the rebranding or were you more or less just kind of the spokesperson? You know, you were putting out the what the decision really was. I think when you do the rebranding, it is a team effort. Um, you know, a lot of those big decisions when, when, with rebrands do come from the top. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of my opportunities was creating the messaging that would go around it, creating how we were going to send it out, who we were going to invite to the to the unveiling. Um, it didn't necessarily go into, like, <laughs> you know the exact yeah details. you were you weren't you weren't the guy that was uh, you know hitting the button yes let's do it let's bring the ostriches in no no I, you know that's the decision maker of a team that that says that i think you know we come to those those decisions i think in minor league baseball the great thing is is that you know no idea is discounted so when somebody suggests um let's bring live ostriches to the stadium um you can laugh at it and and when you start thinking a little bit more and saying, why wouldn't we have live ostriches at the stadium? And, and we did for a few years. And it was, uh, I was against it, I would say, personally a little bit because I was uh, afraid of these live exotic birds who have a temper um, at the stadium. But, um, you yeah, know, we got along at the end of the day. Yeah, I think that, you know, the rebranding was was definitely a movement around minor league baseball. Obviously, the Bingham, is. The Binghamton is. Uh, Rumble Ponies. Are now you know they change the name from the B Mets to uh, the Rumble Ponies, so I think it just allows them to make more marketing decisions, be able to sell more merchandise, and I also think that you know it, it's part of the entertainment of minor league baseball. You know, it's more of an entertainment type thing than it is necessarily always focused on the competition at hand. Well, I'm sure all the listeners can can attest that like going to a major league baseball game, while while it's a lot of fun to see your favorite players and to see your team. Uh, compete on the field um, they do lose a little bit of that fan interaction I think they I will say I think some of the major league teams have gotten a lot better at it in recent years but for a while it was really um, really not a great experience when you go to these games where their idea of entertainment is a fan cam which is fun but if you go to a minor league game um, you know I think luckily where we live in Pennsylvania we are within an hour's drive to at least three or four different teams and it's really great to have this Reading team in our backyard. And I think seeing all the entertainment, seeing the fun, seeing um, attracting families, it's its affordable fun. I mean, there's you can go to a movie theater in the summer and it's, you know, 40 bucks just to get in the theater for a family of four. Um, not to mention if you want to get snacks and popcorn. If you go to a baseball game, you can get dinner, tickets, and some extras for under fifty dollars. Yeah, and I think that you know the Arfills or the Fightins did a great job. Call either or. I, you know, hey, I, I'm, I'm trying not there. to offend anybody. Um, you know, the the Fightins used to do a nice program with you know you get A's, you get some tickets and stuff, and I think that's also a nice thing for families to go out and do. Now, I want to ask you a little bit more about the actual job because I don't know that a lot of people understand. You know, that hey, the trade deadline just happened. 
Um, what was the trade deadline like as a PR director for a minor league team? Did you get like a heads up ever of like a big deal or any names that were being talked about so that you could issue a press release or, you know, what? How did the players react to what was going on? So yeah, I think it, it depends. Um, I think sometimes when like transactions would happen, I know for instance, you know, there been there have been high profile players who'd come through, um, and we wouldn't we would usually have an idea. Um, of when they would be promoted. It wasn't like it was a week's notice, but we usually either communicating through the baseball side um, or communicating through um, the baseball side of things that they would usually be the ones to tip us off. It wouldn't necessarily be on the PR side because it is controlling the message. So I get that. Um, around trade deadline time, though, um, it, it can be it could be a little difficult. Um, I, the one that always jumps out to me was my first trade deadline. It was in 2012. Um, and that was the year that the Phillies were trading Hunter Pence to the San Francisco giants. Um, so I, I never actually saw any of the opportunities where our players were scared of being moved. Um, cause, uh, when I worked with the Phillies, they weren't really in the position of, um, trading for players. They're more, looking to acquire players. So in 2012, they, um, you know, we were a pretty good team. That was the year, uh, for people who don't know that Darren Ruff went after the big home run record that year. Um, but we were trading Hunter Pence and there was a lot of word, you know, you're trying to monitor in the news, like I'm up with trade deadlines of who the Phillies were going to get from, um, the giants, if something would happen. One of those guys was a guy named Tommy Joseph. Um, people may, may know he played with the, uh, the Philadelphia Phillies, uh, last couple seasons. And uh, he was on the Giants. He was a big catching prospect. Um, and actually, we were playing the Richmond Flying Squirrels, a team he was on down in Richmond. And he had to. He got traded. He literally had to pick up his stuff from one locker room and just walk across the hall to go to the Phillies locker room. There's a video and everything. Um, Tommy is one of the true gems, um, so he handled it with like a lot of class. And he was only like 21 or 22 at the time. Um, but he fit in really well, and I'm glad that things kind of worked out for him and making it there. So th on that end, there's awkwardness. On the other end, you know, there's times where we're making a playoff run, and um, I think it was 2015 is the year that the Phillies traded Cole Hamels to the Rangers where the team was really – we had we, were, we you lose a lot of players, um, usually around the All-Star break, just as things get moving on. So it's usually um, a true test where, say, um, you get – You'll promote your best player. You don't want a player to hang around double-A all year. So usually about halfway through the year, you might send him up in, around in June, July to triple-A. So we, our team took a couple um, bumps on the chin, um, but that Cole Hamels trade was kind of like the Reading Fight and Phil's making trades um, because that year we got Nick Williams, Jake Thompson, um, Everybody, Nick Pavetta. Did yeah. everybody around the team get really excited about it? I mean, obviously you're getting new players, highly regarded players. I mean, was it was it awesome? Were there incumbents that might have been sad or upset or saw, hey, wow, my playing time might get cut a little bit? Most here. guys know it's a business. Um, it's the business of baseball. A lot of the guys have been around that they know, hey, you know, I might lose playing time. But at the same time, a lot of guys want to win, too. Um, you know, a lot of people focus on the individual development of players, but some guys do know their place. I think some guys know that they're, they might just be a guy who peaks at AAA or plays in the minors. So anytime I think to get those guys in, um, 
it's interesting. Sometimes there's clashes of, of cultures. Other times guys, um, because they do know these guys, because a lot of the times they'll play um, every level with them. So it would be imagine if, like, you played the same people in, like, in football. You probably knew some guys that you played against in college that you would see and say, hey, there's so-and-so from Moravian or so-and-so from Johns Hopkins the same thing um guys know guys who come through the system um aau's oftentimes made guys closer too so i I don't think there's any hard feelings i'm sure people do get a little lose lose like their role but um that's the business and it's a baseball is a hard business on the kids yeah who was who's your favorite person to interact with as a player like i mean you obviously had a number of players coming through i mean who was the best to deal with to interact with maybe to interview there's a lot. Um, there's a lot of guys I really like that came through. Um, one guy in particular, I know he um, in Philadelphia that I, I know he's a people know his name, but he's he's been on the Braves this year and he's having a really good good year. Is Jesse Biddle? Um, Jesse's a really I, I think a consummate professional. He he always handled himself with me, um, respectful. If there's times he didn't want to do an interview after the game, he was always up front. Um, he knew that I had a job to do and the media had a job to do too. He was awesome. Um, I think there's some other guys who I love like Darren Ruff. Reese Hoskins is a really good guy. I honestly, I can't remember. I, I really can probably go on and on about who the good guys are. I very rarely can remember the bad ones. I mean, because I think most guys, um, it's quite the difference. I think from when I started <laughs> in minor leagues, um, where you would hear a lot of these kind of jock type guys that were still hanging on and playing and you would hear stories um but you know i think the guys who get the business and who are do the community service for the teams do the player appearances sign the autographs before and after the games are oftentimes the guys who end up in the majors because they know what it takes yeah now obviously you're well not obviously but you're a huge wrestling fan um how would you compare like playing minor league baseball to wrestling in the indies you know not not necessarily being in wwe but you know maybe you know a ring of honor but that even on a smaller level like chakara or something like that is there a comparison yeah i i mean i think you can look at wwe's the majors there's no ifs ands or buts about that um then you go down a level to something on like the nxt for anybody who watches wrestling nxt is like a wwe's developmental system um based in orlando they have uh, based in Orlando, but they also have a a brand in the United Kingdom as well. But I would say that's probably your your sing your triple A, double A, and then when you go outside of the WWE fold, there's all these smaller wrestling organizations. Which so it's kind of like the independent league. Yeah, I mean it's indie wrestling. I think I think the further you go down, I mean like you. Like Chikara is really great. Chikara is a local pro wrestling place out of Philadelphia. They do a lot of they do a lot of shows in Reading, Lehigh Valley, Philadelphia, um, and a lot of characters. So I think they have had a ton of guys who have come through there that have gone on to WWE. That being said, there there are also wrestling organizations. Um, you might see their like posters on 
electric poles around the city or yeah I, I remember or... when I was a little kid you know <laughs> I was always a big WWE fan and then I go to like Ames you know that they're not they haven't been open for like what 15 years yeah. and I remember going to Ames and seeing like Captain Lou Albano like af- after his career had in WWE and the big time had really ended and I remember seeing like all these guys I'm like man I love wrestling but I've never heard of like half of these people well and that's a lot of guys like just uh, like regular guys like us who probably hold day jobs but go wrestle on the weekends i know that um one one kid that um that i know who wrestled i don't know him personally um but he was a friend of a friend and he wrestled for this organization who used to do the wrestling nights at the stadium and his name was the, the bulldog <laughs> he, was, he went to wilson had the bulldog tattoo and everything so is that kind of like uh was that the Miz? <laughs> I don't know. I I think there's he, he actually the story ends in a better spot too. Not as good did, as the Miz, but did he ever get to wrestle Marty Jannetty? No, he may have. This kid actually went on to um to do a lot of work for DDP and the DDP Yoga. So I mean, it like really worked out. Really worked out for him. Um, I do think at the same time though, there are wrestling like you were saying like who's this wrestler? Who's that wrestler? And I remember going to see. I just saw my grandmother a couple months ago. Um, we took her out to dinner, and in the back of this bathroom door, there was a poster for a wrestling company in um, Hazleton, and the lead wrestler they were promoting was Glacier. <laughs> I don't remember Glacier from WCW. is like a Mortal Kombat knockoff. Um, I was just like, wow. I was like, that's that, that's who we're leading with here? I was like, and it's harder, too, because like WWE just keeps all these guys year after year after year. Some go on to be mayor. And it, Yeah, like, <laughs> like Glenn Jacobs. I yeah. mean, it, that's fascinating. I mean... You know, and you always see like these documentaries on Netflix, on Amazon Prime, you know, all these different documentaries about wrestling. And then you start seeing like Coco Beware and some of these guys that, you know, were big time. And now they're way down on, at the bottom of the totem pole, just kind of hanging on. I mean, it's kind of a sad thing that it, it's kind of goes back to that. I think it goes back to like even sports. It's not just uh, wrestling. I mean, wrestling is so. I think people use it because the wrestling in the 80s and 90s was like the peaks. Like, I mean, like in terms of it seemed popularity, like the there was a lot of opportunity, like Monday Night Wars, Monday Night Wars. Um, but I think you could say that in uh, in sports, too, because if you go, I mean, look at some of the guys. I mean, I don't like to I'm never a guy who's going to complain about contracts and what players make because that's what the market pays them. But a guy who makes 30 million dollars now in basketball and go to you know 30 years ago and see what guys are making and that's and it it just breeds a lot of resentment because like those guys the league wouldn't be with it be what it is today without some of those guys but at the same time you know the money's different now it's it's not the same as before and so it's harder to not only that but now there are guys that are getting that those guys that didn't make very much now they're having life-altering injuries that resulted from their playing time or their wrestling time i mean it's it really is tough and sad and you see a lot of uh people like mike dick uh trying to work on that on the nfl scale and you see stories like that all the time it's very sad yeah I, I mean i think w- it's good that a lot of these places have unions and the mlb and the players union that helps cover a lot of these medical bills but Especially in the case, I mean, I think it's more or less footballs where it really comes in. You don't really see a lot of former baseball or NBA players or NHL players complain, like really battling a lot of injuries. I think the NFL, just because how brutal of a sport it is, 
Um, you see a lot of guys still battling injuries, and and, and I don't think it's ever going to get better. I mean, I don't think, I don't know if the new helmet rule is necessarily what's going to fix it. I haven't, I I didn't get to watch the um, the first exhibition game to see it, but I know, um, you know, to put it bluntly, I know the rule went off like a fart in church. <laughs> um, yeah. so I, I'm really interested to see how that affects the game because I, I'm not a football truther. I'm not somebody who thinks that. Um, not Larry Fedora. <laughs> not Larry Fedora. I st- I think there there needs to be a little bit regulation, but how far is too far? Yeah, I mean, I think there are definitely things that can be done that can certainly make the game safer and improve it. I mean, you you take a look at something as simple as saying, okay, guess what? All O linemen and D linemen, you get a two point stance. That can cut back on head injuries as well. I I think that there are definitely uh, things out there that can you know make a change and you know make it for the better. Yeah, I mean, I I I know um I know it's one of my favorite pod fellow podcasts to listen to but Mike Lombardi and one of the things, you know, on the ringer of the, the NFL, they were taught it was a big theme of the NFL this year, why is the play bad? Why why are, you know, why why are we seeing these games that feel like you're watching paint dry? And a lot of it has to do with, you know, lack of practice. Um, guys that aren't, you know, there's less he, time to train. You know, and, and we talk about this lack of practice, lack of time to train. Why is it that the college game is so much better? I mean, the college is really restricted, you know, I, and I think it's really that the NFL coaches, a lot of them, you know, and again, I don't want to stereotype or anything like that, but I think a lot of NFL coaches just don't adjust to their players, don't make things simpler for them, and, you know, adapt. I think it's, well, we've always done it this way in the NFL. You know, we have to go under center. We have to do this. We have to do that. Whereas in college, they're looking to simplify the game and go faster. The game's much better, much more entertaining. I think the players in college also look at coaches um, more as parental figures, and I think they put more trust in the coaches, whereas I think in the NFL now there's money involved, and now that there's playing time involved, um, it's harder for a player. It's harder for a player to have that respect for coaches, especially. You know, I think you see coaches that last two years now in the league, and, and is that enough? Um, and if you have one star player, if you have a, a quarterback who who isn't flourishing under a certain coach. Um, you don't ride it out. Now, I say this is a fan of the Cowboys. So we've had yeah. the same coach for like eight years. Well, not only that, but then I was just going to bring up Des Bryant. I mean, in his Twitter tirade, you know, he's burning down all the bridges. He's burning everything in his path. I mean, you could see if you watch the All or Nothing, him going off on his uh, former receivers coach, Derek Dooley, who is now the OC at Missouri. Good luck with that. Um <laughs> You know, so you could definitely tell that these players are, you know, taking a different stance. You know, they're they're looking at yes, if you can help me, great. But if you're really not contributing to greater success for myself or the team, you know, it's a business, and they need to look out for themselves and look out for their best interests because they're feeding their family this way. Well, I, mean, I don't want to use Des as the only only example because I think he's probably an outlier. Well, um, but I also, <laughs> you know, I mean, too pre- we're, we're the ho- um, fame, I, I do think that. When you're at that level, I think, you know, there's less patience for coaches. Um, a guy can go through four years of college and really trust coach because it's it's your first time out. I mean, there's a lot more. As you get older, you start and become you start marching more to the beat of your own drummer. There's probably less of a, you know, I think, you you know, I think when you're younger, you're, you're more easily shaped by authority figures. And I think as you get older, you kind of realize that 
that might be BS. I don't know. I don't understand that. Getting oh. there, like Tom Coughlin rules and stuff. Yeah, I mean, well, if you're in, in college and, you know, you're going and Nick Saban's your coach, guess what? Nick Saban's holding the key to your future. You know, you're. it's not necessarily even that you're looking at him as a father figure. You're looking at, hey, man, I need to do what he says because – if he, I don't, I won't get on the field, and then I won't get a chance to go to the league, and and you know that's the big problem. Well, and it's really interesting too because I think you that it really goes a, a lot to say that guys like Bill Belichick have been able to be system, have a system, have guys go in and out of the system, and really, I mean the Patriots are a model example. They haven't had a really down <laughs> their down years. Their teams good, some teams good years, and I think, but you do see some players. I. I I know Lane Johnson came out and spoke out against them in the offseason, but there was a player recently, I forget who it was. Amendola? It may have been it may have been Amendola who was like, Yeah, I mean I respect Bill, but that was like, you know, kind of spoke out about how strict and everything was. Yeah, that, yeah, Danny Amendola definitely did that. And it's kind of funny, you know, now he's like, Yeah, uh, Adam Gase is one of the boys, you know, he's one of us, you know, he's he's a cool guy, you know. He's not like strict like Belichick. Well, Guess what? You're going to get crushed by <laughs> Belichick probably twice this year. So I, you know, I, I think yeah, you have to I, look I at wonder it. I wonder if Belichick's going to um, make sure that, you know, things are being, you know, targeting uh Amendola or making sure that, you know, Amendola has a terrible game because the last thing Bill Bill's like a mob boss. The last thing he likes is someone speaking out against his system and his terms. Um He's kind of like the Nick Saban of, I mean, he's, he Nick Nick Saban is the Bill Belichick of college football, but they both have their consigliaries and assistants. You know, you got Butch Jones holding toothpicks down there for for Nick Saban. Yeah, was he washing his car? Like and Burt Bielema. You know, I don't know what Burt. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what Burt Bielema does for us, but he's he's here, and yeah, we'll see I if mean, we can get something out of him later. Like, I mean, how crazy is that? It's like the uh, the rehab. You know, I mean, the that's Saban a, Belichick rehab. I know they had Doctor Drew celebrity rehab, but I, I would I would probably pay good money to watch uh, Bill Belichick and Nick Saban coaching rehab to see these guys <laughs> go through and what he makes, especially on Saban. I feel like he probably put is more insulting to these guys. Like I feel like um, he he does one of those things where like you know you're a kid where you make somebody um, go on their knees and use them as a bench. Like I think he like I could just see him being like sh- having coaches shine their shoes. Um, you know, always have toothpicks, almost like a frat culture, like rushing, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely probably true, you know, not maybe not true, but like it's definitely imaginable because everybody gets a head coaching job after you coach with Saban. I mean, you could say the same thing with Belichick, but you know, those guys end up, you know, either flaming out or coming back to Belichick the same thing. You know, uh, it, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, personally, I'd rather probably be under the, the Belichick camp. Um, Belichick seems like he at least I, I, you see Belichick at a Bon Jovi concert. At least he's probably enjoying life. I don't know what oh, Nick bon Saban. Jovi, I don't know what Nick enjoys Bon Jovi <laughs> concerts. Oh. I don't know what Nick Saban enjoys in life. I, I think Winning I think he said process. some. I think it was like I think it was Greg McElroy or someone um, that said like he he loves like his favorite things to do is like eating bologna sandwiches and watching the Weather Channel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, I mean, I know. Well, Doug Marone, that he's he's one. Oh, he's a there. bologna sandwich. Yeah, guy, he's a yeah. he's a big bologna guy. And, but yeah, you definitely see that with these guys. You know, they love to win. They love thinking about the next win, recruiting, all that stuff. And it, in college, there's more pressure too. I mean, that you got you have an entire school's reputation. It affects your enrollment. I mean, when Penn State plays really well, their enrollment's up. When they play, when they're not as good, their enrollment's down. Well, and the other thing that you have to realize is, you know, I was talking about this with uh, one of our. 
uh, former guests that'll you know that is a recurring guest, Steve Heck. You know, we we're talking about George Hallis coached for forty years. You know, in the NFL and all the players that he coached at that time period. That'll never be equaled again. You know, probably not even equaled in the college level because, you know, they're the days of you know Joe Paterno and Bobby Bowden in their in their twilight there in their decline. It's probably not going to happen again because people are way too impatient. I'll say ne- I'll never say never, but that it's not gonna. It, it's rare that's gonna happen. I mean, in, in in the NFL, I mean, you theoretically would have to start coaching in your thirties and to the to your seventies, someone like a Kyle Shanahan or or maybe even a Mike Tomlin. <laughs> Mike Tomlin, I know. Um, it, it's just a grind, and I don't know if some of these guys have it in them to do it for forty years. And I think there's more opportunities now, like when. A lot of like George House coached for forty years. Like there was an ESPN to get that extra paycheck. I mean, I think there are more opportunities with broadcasting, uh, with endorsements, with you know just quality of life. Now I think there's some that people do see that there's more more to life than than sports sometimes. So yeah, definitely, and you know we definitely see it. And then sometimes they feel like they miss it and they come back for a hundred million like John Gruden, but it's not about the money, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's man, that, that speaking of reality shows, I think that is reality show in itself just to see that's going to be an implosion that heads to when they open up in Vegas. I I can't imagine they're going to be good. Like I can't (laughs) imagine, like I'm not in the, in the habit of picking NFL. I'm not going to start picking except I think the Cowboys have 11 wins. Um, But I just, I'm not in the, in the habit of picking like who's going to be good because the NFL is so unpredictable and the parody, um, there's so much parody, but I can tell you this, like John Gruden, I think thinks it's 2007, uh, with some of these guys that he's just, he said he wanted to throw it back to 98. I mean, and, and you know what? I look at those, I look at that whole thing and, you know, at the press conference, I, I see Mark Davis and John Gruden. It's like twins. It's like, you know, John Gruden's Arnold Schwarzenegger and Mark Davis is Danny DeVito. I, it's, you know, and they're, they that, are that's really insulting to Danny DeVito. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, the the hairstyle choice, you know, that's yeah. But anyway, I, yeah, they're, they're going to implode, and that's it's just going to be a mess. And you know, let's see if John Gruden ends up giving back his money. You know, and we're we're talking about coaching, and we're talking about the NFL. We talked about John Gruden and everything, and you know how that's going on. And we talked about father figures as coaches. You know, especially in the college game, and no one is more of a father figure than our friend. Well, not not, not our friend, but uh, than Urban Easy Meyer. Calling your friends. Well, yeah, yeah. I don't, I wouldn't call him my friend, but uh, you know, Urban Meyer. I mean, he's the guy that. You know, by golly, he's he's mentored and given second and third chances to everybody. And, you know, he's done a you know such a great job coaching at all these different places. He even, uh, you know, faked a heart attack at one point, you know, and it, I believe it was just like heartburn or something like I that. I don't know if he faked. I would say, please make sure you say allegedly. Allegedly, allegedly. Because I don't want someone coming yeah. down on the pool. The Poolside Genius podcast we pulled from okay. iTunes if so, you just so, say he faked you know, a heart he, attack. He, he's got to take a year off, you know, spend more time with his family. You know, then he, uh, you know, writes you know the whole ESPN thing where he writes the contract with his daughter that he's going to spend more time with his family he came out with one of the greatest coaching books I've ever read which is above the line fantastic book and you know he a lot of things he talks about they're great but you know we are now coming to see that that wasn't really what he does and you know it's starting to come to light with the whole issue of employing Zach Smith a wide receiver coach who was involved in a lot of domestic violence 
uh, you know, things with his ex-wife. And, you know, then admitting that or saying that he had never known about the 2015 incident. And now he just released a statement saying he did. Well, I mean, I, I will, I'll say this um, as somebody who uh, saw, you know, a, a probably even even more so in a light. I think Joe Paterno, to be honest, was probably more beloved than Urban Meyer was. Um, yeah, I would definitely say he was more <laughs> beloved. Uh, but I, I think the lesson I always learn, I think people need to learn is that um, we all live in glass houses. And, you know, I think fan bases can especially cheer these types of falls from grace. Um, and personally, it's it, it's you can do it, but it's going to co- eventually come back to you in one way or another. Now, let me ask you, I mean, do, what do you think, you know, if this was Bobby Petrino or this was um, Lane Kiffin or a guy that really doesn't hold himself as this m- moral compass, this religious individual, always talking about his religious beliefs and how we have to create better young men, you know, he, again, you know, <laughs> You saw this with like Hugh Freeze. Do you think that he gets, you know, they're really coming at him because of his the way he holds himself and says that he's looking uh, to. I you know I don't know a ton about that, but I think they're also they're coming at him for one 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 reason that uh, a week ago, maybe a little over a week ago, he sat there on the stage in Chicago and said that he denied that um, that he knew anything about these allegations um, and the cover and the alleged cover up. Um, so right there, I mean, if you if you were sitting there a week ago and told me and denied one thing and then the truth came out a week later, and I think, you know, I think that rightfully should be um, held to the fire. And I, he is. And in the, the sports world, especially, I, I personally think that um, in the 24-7 sports world, that I think that these stories don't get swept under rugs like maybe they used to in the 70s and 80s. Um, but I also think that this is there's a movement going on, um, the Me Too movement, that is really impactful, and it is not something that, he, that it and should not be something that's sniffed at. Um, it should not be something that is disregarded. It is something that needs to happen, and it's something that needs to be taken completely serious. And to be completely, you know, someone who's worked in sports and um, you hear stories. Um, I do think that the sports world is going to – it hasn't really hit the sports world. It's only hit Hollywood. And I think that um, when it's stories like this start happening, I really do think that, like, this won't be the last time you hear of a, of a coach knowing something, um, and it won't be the last. Yeah, I think that it's – a really big deal. I mean, you can't stand for this. I mean, I know that the NFL has talked about, you know, no more, you know, no more domestic violence, but yet they continually employ coaches or players that have, um, you know, partaken in these types of things. And the end of the day, they're about, well, can you help my team win? I think that college especially is really important in fostering the right beliefs in these players, the right beliefs in these families and, and the fans so that, you know, in their formative years, they're doing the right thing. And I think that it really needs to be a stand here to really say, look, you know, you can't be teaching, coaching our youth. Well, these are molder of men. Partaking in these things. These are molder of men. Um, and you saw it, you know, you saw it at Penn State with a lot of guys just being heartbroken about Joe Paterno's, um, 
role or, or you know what however you want to you know label it um in 2011 but i do think that you know that's why people do that's why these come so shocking because urban does preach that he does he has you know probably developed so many men um and may you know turn boys into men but i i think this the issue in the matter at hand is that um you know I know he said he he followed protocol, but you know, so did Joe Paterno, and he caught a lot of flack for that too. Um, it ended up costing him his job. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I will say I think Ohio State has handled this much better than Penn State did at the time, putting Urban on leave um, immediately, not firing him. I think Joe wouldn't have lasted. I think he probably would have ended up being fired regardless. But I think like. You know, I think that there's a lot of lessons to be learned from a lot of these these cases, and I hope, I really do hope that um, there aren't other cases like this in college football. But you saw yesterday, even or two days ago, that even after the the news came out about Urban, then there was all that story about the wrestling program at Ohio State. I mean, it, it, there's oh, there's mounds and mounds and of it, and it's all very fascinating that this these things have been allowed to fester but like you mentioned earlier the me too movement i think in part has gotten people to speak out against these injustices and really you know take a stand and you know going back to urban meyer and how he you know i read an article where they're talking about man he was just too loyal he was just too loyal to uh earl bruce's grandson no, maybe you should be loyal to your beliefs, loyal to your morals and the things that you speak about as a head coach. When you're the head coach of the Ohio State University and you put on all of your uh, items and your pro- propaganda about how you know respecting women is extremely important, maybe you should take that seriously with your hires. I mean, at the time when he was at Florida, this was a GA. Uh, when he was at Ohio State, you know, he was a wide receivers coach. Urban, you, you can replace him. You can, you know, try and still, you can still help the man. You can still get him help and get him counseling, but you don't have to employ him. You know, they're, they're, that's not the example that you want to set for your players and for everyone else out there. Yeah, I mean, I do think, um, in, in my mind, I, I really think that Urban, hopefully, I mean, he's catching a lot of flack for appropriate reasons, but I, I, I think, um, I think the more that the story is out there about <laughs> about this, the longer it's out there, the more people are gonna dig about his past um, and dig into to other stories. I know, um, you know, there there aren't any facts out there, but I think people know um, some of the players who played for him at Florida and some of the trouble that they got into. There are a lot of arrests in Florida. <laughs> yeah, um, so I think there there is a there is there could be a trend. I don't want to. I don't want to name names. I think Urban. I think he's a tremendous coach. I think he's great for the game. But I think things like this, oftentimes, remind you that you got to run a tight program. And if if somebody gets into trouble, I mean, you it's, you, you can still help them, but they can't coach there. Yeah, and you know, I just want to you know pivot a little bit here. You know, one of Urban's uh, guys at Florida, Dan Mullen. You know, he he just got the job at Florida. And he talked about a no weapons policy. And did you see that uh, one of his players got arrested with a loaded AR-15 in his car? 
And but you know they, it's okay. There's not going to be any discipline or disciplinary actions because you know and and he Dan Mullen tried to like elaborate. Well, there's certain situations like if you're hunting, I I don't know that you're using an AR-15 to go hunting. Yeah, I mean I'm not a hunter, but I don't think you go after deer with an AR-15. There's only you know. We're not going to get into to my feelings on that, but I I I think coaches, uh, you know, they'll say this, they'll say, they'll sell their program in any which way, and when push comes to shove, you you can you can be a man of integrity or you can, um, you know, sell your principles out. Yeah, definitely. Now, one of the interesting things about the Urban Meyer story is that Brent McMurphy. Uh, was the one that broke it on Facebook. I mean, you took a class, you know, and we always joke with you about it, about, uh, you know, the, we called the Joe Paterno class at Penn State, but you talked about how it was, how the media changed throughout Joe's time. Yeah, I mean, I and, think... But, like, how how has the media changed even in the last couple of years? I mean, my God, I don't think that a major story like this would have been broken on Facebook, you know, even a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, I think you guys, I know... <laughs> um, you guys joke with me at taking this Joe Paterno class at Penn State, but it was ma- mainly about how, you know, over a 40 to 45 year tenure, how media has changed and how they cover someone, how they cover stories. Um, you know, and I think, you know, it's interesting where that ends up, but I, I do think in Brett McMurphy, you know, a guy who formerly worked for ESPN in a high profile role, national college football writer, um, ends up getting laid off when ESPN has layoffs, um, and because he he can't you know work for another company um, as he's getting paid by ESPN or can't start his own industry, he did have a personal Facebook and personal Twitter, and that's where he shared his news story. He had nowhere else. Another guy who did this recently was Ken Rosenthal um, before getting hired by the Athletic. He was breaking stories on his own Facebook page. Um, there's an audience. I hate seeing really qualified journalists do it to on their own personal Facebook. Um, but I think that you see in, in today's day and age, you know, the media is fragmented. Um, you can live in your own bubble if you choose to. You know, um, if you don't want to hear about national politics, you don't have to. You, if you only want to hear about one side of national politics, you can certainly do that, too. Um but even in college, even in sports, like you can really with things like Facebook, where it's all based on algorithms and your interests, um, it really caters it to to what you're following. But however, I think there's yeah, I like, mean, if, if I look up, you know, something on Amazon, you know, for the next like year, I'm looking at, you know, uh, the this particular book, every single website I go on. It, it's kind of crazy. Is that why you have the Depends ads showing up in your news news feed on Facebook? <laughs> Ouch. Wow. <laughs> you can throw it back um i do think but but i think interestingly enough i think it's really great to see um i know i was giving you a lot of flack because i think some of the um some of the like the hedge fund managers of this of the athletic um were pretty bold in saying we're going to take local news head on yeah i mean i think like places I, i'm biased but places like the reading eagle will always exist because they cover a niche um that no one else is going to cover but the athletic has done a really great job i i joked with cody about being a subscriber and thinking that it was a dumb idea yeah and then they started launching 
national cities and national brands and things and and i check it every day and, I, and they do a really good job they've built a really great community and it's, it's really great to see another place where quality journalism can live yeah and it, one of the things that i really like about it is that you get more long form articles that you know there just isn't that much space for it to be in the local paper as much just because of you know the restrictions on space and whatnot how many words so i think that's a really nice thing but it's fascinating that anybody with a with a microphone a computer and internet can be a podcaster can have a, their own show anybody with the internet and a computer can have a blog and you know be reporting on things you know and i think that that's also in some ways led to less journalistic integrity as we've kind Agreed. of gone into that area yeah i mean i think uh you know, with with the advent of Twitter and and I think the great thing is I you know I'm a Sixers fan, so I follow all these Sixers. Brian Colangelo, Twitter. I saw all these Sixers fan accounts and I follow the blogs, and they all do a really good job. But I also like reading from people who are quality follow like quality journalists, and I do think you know it's one of those things where I think people will pay um, for the content and pay for quality um, quality writing, and I think. You know, sports, the way you follow sports is way different now even. Like, you know, gone are the days of rushing home to watch Sports Center at 11 o'clock to catch the highlights yeah. because I could bring out my phone and pull out um, XYZ highlight of any game, any sport, uh, anywhere Dan in the Pat world. Yeah, Dan Patrick was just talking about that the other day um, on the Part of My Take podcast when he was interviewed. He said, you know, it, it's completely changed the way that people consume sports and that mm -hmm. Sports Center isn't really the big thing. I mean, because that was the only place you could find the highlights. Now you go on YouTube, boom, it's there. Well, you saw, I mean, Sports Center is the big dog. Um, but you saw, like, when FS1 tried to take them head on and they, they fail. I mean, they fell on their face. Um, because they realize that's, you know, in in the 21st century, unfortunately, that's not how people are uh, consuming their highlights anymore. They're really packaging them right to their phone. Um, you know, I credit the NBA. The NBA's rise, is, I, I would say, is based off of embracing um, that culture, embracing people sharing GIFs of slam dunks or sharing clips on House of Highlights on Instagram. Um not all sports, and I'm talking about baseball, really embrace it, and the NFL. Um, and to be honest, both of them really need to start doing it because I feel like they are losing, one, their cool factor. I think the NBA definitely has the inside track of national conversation of, like, this sport is hip, this is what people are talking about. It's now become, I feel, even more so than the NFL, the full 365-day-a-year sport. Oh, and, you know, I'll say this, you know, I teach uh, middle school and middle school kids are on YouTube. They're not really watching TV as much. It's mostly, you know, they might watch Netflix, they might watch YouTube. And if those NFL clips or those MLB clips aren't on YouTube, then they're not going to be exposed to it as much. And you see a lot of love for basketball. I mean, that's really a big, uh, you know, thing with the kids because they're seeing it on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, I get I get owning your highlights and I get owning your rights, um, but I I also don't get, you know, I think that or NBA lets their their highlights live out organically and like if there's a if there's a low light or something like a like a blooper that happens, that oftentimes can be as big as the slam dunk or moments and I think. It just happens so organically, and people feel that sense of ownership, and they feel that investment, and they they follow these guys, um, and, and you just don't get that with football and baseball. And I think I'm afraid that you know 
as time goes on here that those sports may I, I'm more worried about football I mean I think that with some of the rule changes that it it might get it's it's always gonna be popular but I'm afraid that people are gonna fall off of it too much I think baseball still is accessible kids play baseball all the time um but I'm afraid that the some of those you know if they don't start really embracing that young culture or kid less and less kids are playing football now it's 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 really it's really scary that you know what these sports have to do with the trends yeah and uh, i really hate to see it when coaches or teams start to say tell players no you can't use twitter you know no we we have a policy you can't be tweeting you can't <laughs> be doing this are you crazy this is free publicity you know what and obviously you should instead it's a fine you know, line. this is one of my big problems instead of you know, teaching somebody to swim, you tell them don't go anywhere near a pool. And well, that's not really accurate. There, uh, I think that you teach these guys, you know, what is acceptable, what you expect of them while they're on Twitter, while they're on Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, and then allow them to do that. Because I just read a great article talking about how the Rock Dwayne Johnson uses his Twitter and Instagram profiles to make lots of money by promoting his movies on those things because he has so many followers. I agree. I mean, I agree with you. I tend to think when it comes to Twitter and social media with player usage, I, I don't think there should be like a an on and off switch and turning it off, but I think there needs to be more education. Um, there needs to be more lessons. These guys, you know, when you're young, you are you think you're invincible. You think you can tweet or say anything you want and, and, and it doesn't pay back. But here we are in 2018 where it is affecting guys and guys tweeting either rap lyrics or, or really um, immature and quite, quite honest, offensive things, um, you know, when they were 18 years old. And while these guys may have grown out of it and, and maybe realized, oh, maybe I shouldn't have tweeted that out, I, I just can't believe that there's not an agency or team that has stepped in to, to clean their Twitter histories or to really give these guys education. Cause, cause it really is a quick, quick, uh, delete. And, and these agencies have full staffs. I mean, they're making money off the players backs. Like why can't they just clean their histories? I don't get it. Yeah. It, that seems to be, you know, something that that's quite an issue. Obviously the bigger issue is, you know, you shouldn't be saying offensive harmful hurtful things in the first place but you know obviously that's you know something on the tail end i mean it's it's hard to tell when a 16 or 17 year old kid you know saying i think if we all were perfect at 18 we all wouldn't be in this room and you learn from your mistakes but at the same time some of this stuff i mean it's homophobic it is racist and they in Frankly, I mean, that's stuff that you can't tweet. And I think hopefully kids are now learning the lessons of that. I think a lot of the times when these things were tweeted, it was like during the infancy of Twitter. And no one probably when they when these kids tweeted it, they probably didn't realize, oh, this is going to live on forever. And I think that that education needs to happen. Um, You know, I'm sure these guys aren't aren't what those tweets say. But at the same time, there needs to be an education and it needs to be um, a way to teach young athletes how to use Twitter in a positive way um, and not to, you know, be immature or not to be homophobic or racist out there um, because that that's also the larger issue at hand. I, I think if these guys, if so these guys were in fact there, there probably needs to be additional training. Yeah. I'm surprised well. that none of these teams or none of these agencies have asked these players uh, to meet with or get counseling or, you know, just really. Well, I think the the brewer, uh, the, 
the guy in the Brewers. I'm drawing a blank on his name. Hater. Josh Hader has to go to sensitivity training. Yeah, I, but I, I will well, say, what does that really mean? Like, yeah, I mean, I, I, like you hear reminds that. me of like WWE when they made Daniel Bryan and and Kane go to uh, anger management training. <laughs> like, it, it, yeah, I don't know what it means at that level, but I think things like you know, I thought today and embrace yourself. I'm about to say something good about Jim Harbaugh. Um, brought that woman who was a survivor of domestic violence, Tra- I believe, Tracy. I'm not sure. I'm not Brenda sure. Brenda Tracy, name. I, I want to say he brought names. her in to speak to the entire team and and about educating them on those issues. And I think that's where it starts. I think coaches need to do more of that and less of what we're seeing in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, exactly. That's a that's a great great point. As a married man and having a six month old son, I don't get to go see movies very often. And you know, I uh, you so you've told me I can't rely on the Rotten Tomatoes. Um, no, you can't. <laughs> no, I, I listen. I know I, I touted Rotten Tomatoes when I was um, a few years back. I still think it. I still think it has value. I still I think mean, it gets it, people it, to look at. I think it it's seems a great to you know control what movies are successful and what movies are not. To, I mean, for good and bad. But I think like something like my issue is is something where I'll throw a movie out there like Lady Bird was a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. And I loved it. I thought it was a tremendous movie. But well, that yeah, there you go. It, it matched up. <laughs> I don't know if it was a hundred percent, but that hundred percent is a hundred percent of reviewers liked it. So you know, to the point, you know, if I if if Cody Bender goes makes tacos, love tacos, and I say I like these tacos, and the three other guys in the room say, yeah, I like these tacos too, it would get a hundred percent on Bender Taco Meter, whereas I could go and say, you know. I've had much better tacos than Cody Bender's. <laughs> than Cody, you would Bender's. never say that. I probably would. I mean, I, that no, you those fish tacos I made, you loved them. No, there's too much pepper in them. But. Oh, hater. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think you're rotten tomatoes. But yeah, I also think it's the fact that you said, you know, I know you're like you're leading to say you don't get out to the movies much, but you also we're in Bender Cinema here, and I know. Bender Cinema also is I'm cheap and I also don't want to go to the movie theaters and spend 40 bucks DJ, every time. Hey, you know, we want to talk about things that I told you about before they happened. You know, I talked about how people were going to cut the cord and how people were going to start it's uh, coming back. Home it's bouncing systems. back. Yeah, movie passes out the door. I don't know that it's going to happen <laughs> now. It's bouncing back. I think that I get your cord cutting. I think that it's it's real. Obviously, I think but eventually there's going to be too many subscription services to catch up. To everything um however i know as a movie pass subscriber i've been out to the movies i think i've seen since i've had movie pass like 10 movies this summer so it's the most time most movies i've been to in a single summer in theaters so i've seen the trailer for the the meg by jason uh what's his name you're the ball guy, Jason, Jason Statham. Statham. The, oh, Meg. Yes, the Meg. I've oh, seen Meg I've seen that trailer about seven times. I saw the Ant Man trailer about eight. I think the only reason I saw Mission Impossible is because I saw the trailer before every movie. I think I've seen this summer. Wow. So, anyway, I'm looking for some movies that I that I want to see. What What are you uh, What are you recommending? Well, I'm glad you finally saw Infinity War. Um, Hey, you know, with the newborn, you can't just go out to the movie theater right away. I mean, and then I'm like, geez, I have to, we missed the cutoff. You know, we, we hope that, hey, man, we'll have a day off here and we'll be able to go see it. But then, you know, you don't have a babysitter and it's like, oh, man, we missed it. Then we do get a chance and, oh, it's out of the theater. So then you have to wait and pre-order it on Vudu. Yeah, enough of your Vudu. Um, 
Infinity War is my favorite movie I've seen so far this year um, in theaters. I think, you know, it did a lot. To me, it did a lot uh, for the Marvel movie universe um, that I didn't think it was going to be able to pull off. Where I had, I feel like, 50 different characters all in the movie, and they and they knocked it out of the park. How about setting the stage for Captain Marvel? How about that? <laughs> that I know. It's exciting. Um, so, I, I, you know, I think a lot has been said about, about Avengers. And I think most people probably listening have seen it. Um, and my, my number two movie, just saw it last night. Um, is Mission Impossible Fallout. Wow, so what is this, like the sixth <laughs> iteration of Ethan Hunt? So, I'll tell you a joke. Um, before the movie, I was sitting there, and there's a, a family of four, like a guy, you know, middle-aged family, probably guy in his 50s sitting behind me, and um, they're showing the trailers before the movie, and the trailer for Creed Two comes on, and what do you mean Scott Stapp made another band? <laughs> okay, these jokes are hack. <laughs> so so Creed 2 so Creed 2 trailer comes on and it's just my it's Michael B Jordan it's showing Michael B Jordan and Tessa Thompson and then all of a sudden it cuts to Sly sitting in the cemetery and this guy like out loud is just like oh another one of these and my immediate thought was, dude, you're sitting in the theater for the sixth Mission Impossible movie. How can you complain about the eighth Rocky movie that's being released? So, I mean, I think, you know, you see that that type of content is, is valued in Hollywood. But, um, you know, I, I think Tom Cruise, uh, the stuff that he does in Mission Impossible, the action scenes are stuff that needs to be, to be seen to be to believed. Oh, well, hey, Michael Bennett just said that, you know, Tom Cruise is on some special stuff, right? That's what Carson Wentz is doing. <laughs> Allegedly. Um, <laughs> I think Tom Cruise, for being uh, 56 years old and pulling off um, what he does in Mission Impossible is, is a mile, a, a major medical and um, movie achievement. Um, there were scenes in that movie that I certainly thought were CGI or certainly thought were stunt doubles. And then um, I came to find out later that he performed those stunts himself. Um, for instance, there's a skydiving scene early on in the movie um, where they halo jump out of a plane into Paris. And I found out that he perf- – I think I read he jumped out of a plane – over a hundred times just to get the shots right for for jumping out of the movie. I'm surprised movie. he wasn't flying the plane, you know, <laughs> Maverick. Well, he act coincidentally enough. There's a scene where he flies a helicopter in the movie, and he learned to fly a helicopter in six weeks just to just for the movie. So get out! I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, come on, I feel like this is just like pumping him up. The movie took like a year to film, but like, did he did he uh, you know study old. archaeology too before he did, made the mummy? <laughs> You saw what he did. He became the mummy. Spoiler alert. Um, I don't think anybody's going to see it. <laughs> the dark universe is over. Um, so Mission, Impo- Mission Impossible was a great movie. I would suggest seeing it um, out in theaters. Um, just some other highlights. Black Panther. I don't need to really say anything that needs to be said about that. Um, it's been out. It was a cultural phenomenon. and um, I just look forward to seeing where the Marvel Universe picks up. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, no spoilers, oh, no spoilers. You know, all, everything that happened in Infinity Wars, I oh my gosh, I don't know how they're going to come back from that. <laughs> um, just uh, you know, two of my other favorites of the year that I've seen. Um, there's a little little known movie, and I don't think it's on DVD or any Voodoo, but I highly recommend it. It's called Upgrade, and it is 
Um, brought to you by a studio called Blumhouse Tilt. Um, it's an offshoot of Blumhouse, which makes those um, smaller horror movies. They made Get Out, which was a really massive hit. Um, but they made this movie. It's upgraded. It's about a guy. Um, it's kind of like a RoboCop for the modern world, um, where this guy. Uh, there's a there's a sense of event, a series of events that ends up where he becomes um, has an AI chip implanted into his brain. And he goes on a revenge mission. Um, but as the movie leads you to believe, the artificial intelligence may have a mind of its own. So it's a very, very good movie. Interesting. You know, there was one movie that I really enjoyed that was just on Amazon Prime. It was called Chef or The Chef with John Favreau in the lead role. <laughs> yeah, like so four or five, five years ago. ago. Oh, I don't care. <laughs> I it saw was, that in theaters. It was great. You, know, saw that I, at oh, the, you saw that in theaters. I saw that at the really? Nighthawk Cinema in Brooklyn, New York with wow. my brother and wow. some friends. I, I really enjoyed it, though. Um, it's a great movie. Great movie. One that you don't see advertised a whole lot. Um, but I would suggest. Really fun. I would suggest hey, seeing that movie. I love Cuban sandwiches. I love cooking. You know that definitely. Some of fits the best. Some of the best filmed food scenes, and there's a great Robert Downey Jr. cameo in that movie. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> now uh, let me ask you, how many Happy Madison movies have you watched on Netflix? I think I started. I've I've seen parts of the Ridiculous Six before I tapped out. I also think I saw the one. <laughs> I actually was enjoying this, this one, but the David Spade one. No, is that Father of the Year? Father of the I want to see Father of the Year. It keeps oh, popping stop. up. I haven't. <laughs> I, I haven't saved on my list. I will watch it. No, I watch the, I watch the trailer thing every single time, and I'm like, oh my god. I, no. I, the only other one it was a David Spade and Adam Sandler, and Adam Sandler was like a FBI agent, and David Spade was like a loot. It's like a typical movie. It was fine. Like it wasn't. I. No wait, I mean, no wait. Like, so you're the guy that that's I always sh- telling me that you can, you know, judge and rate movies better than uh, Rotten Tomatoes, and you're watching Netflix Happy Madison movies. I watched those are the only two, and it's been years. I would say that you got when you, when you look at a movie, you have to rate your expectations. So when I go watching, if I see an Adam Sandler movie or most movies on Netflix, I automatically go in thinking this is not going to be the best thing I've ever seen. Because if it was the best thing you'd ever see, it would be in theaters, not right to ne- straight to Netflix. Oh, you don't know that. I mean, there, there <laughs> no, could be, stop, there stop, be plenty of great stop. things. There, I've there. seen some good. I like the movie The Polka King and oh, with Jack Black. Stop, stop. I like that movie. Oh, my gosh. You know, now Seven we, out of ten. we've just undone Seven all, out of your, ten. <laughs> all of your, your talk about movies. Is now Seven undone. out of ten. Polka King. There you go. So, oh, seven out of ten. That's that's you haven't oh, seen it, have six, you? I I watched like five minutes of it's it. It's great. It was uh, good. No, stop. It was stop. a good you movie. You just like it because it was it was up there in Hazleton. <laughs> I mean, it probably has something to do with it. All right. Um. Now moving on. You know what? Are, what are you watching right now on on TV? <laughs> you know, for all of those uh, non cord cutters out there, what what what's really catching your attention? Well, in my household, I used to watch a lot the of Bachelor. pro wrestling. I I'm out of the. I I really I'm not a fan of the Bachelor this year. It is so boring, and the guy. I mean, I'm not gonna. I won't bring. Politics yeah, nobody. Nobody that. wants to hear this on a sports podcast. <laughs> but you know, go on. I I know. Oh yeah, this is what the tagline: two guys talking sports. I haven't had a wine. By the way, I haven't had a wine slushy or seen a pool yet in in the hour I've been recording this. Um. I I, I the TV shows we watch a lot of reality TV shows in my household. Um, some good, 
some bad, some ugly. Um, but the one show that I, I that I, 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 I everything's an acquired taste. But the one show I take great enjoyment is is in, is called Very Cavalier. My boy, Jay Cutler. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know, um, Very Cavalier is about reality TV star Kristen Cavallari. Um, she lives in Nashville, and she's trying to start a clothing company um, called the Mint. I mean, Uncommon James. Um, and they. Uh, <laughs> it's really about Jay Cutler and his dear dear camps, right? I mean, realistically, it is. But Jay Cutler is married to Kristen Cavallari, and the show, like, I I thought he'd have like maybe a scene, but he's kind of a, a major character on the show, and I have a really good feeling that Jay Cutler doesn't know that cameras are filming him, because what made him probably not the greatest NFL quarterback makes him such a great reality star because he doesn't care. And to the point where, like, he doesn't care how he looks. There's some outfits on the show where he looks like he just, like, took, like, five random out pieces and um, put them together in the closet. Do you think he just does that for the show? Do you think it's an act? I'm sure he plays parts of it up. But I think he is who he is, and I don't think he cares. Like, I mean, I think the first episode they, like, tried th- – the whole story was that basically that Kristen wanted him to do more around the house. All he was doing was fishing and watching deer <laughs> cams all day, which makes me laugh. Cause I mean, the guy, the guy deserves it. He played a long, he had a long career in the NFL. And at the end of the episode, she's like, so what do you think you're going to do? And his response was something like, I'm just not trying to do a whole lot right now in life. Yeah, I'll, and I was like, I feel like that was the Jay Cutler motto for the the Miami Dolphins season. And I also I would have loved to see how he would have handled becoming the broadcaster for Fox because I I feel like for all the preparation that Tony Romo puts in, Jay Cutler would have put in absolutely nothing. Oh, stop! He would he would have been great. You know, he's got that natural charm, that natural ability. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he's doing the same thing with the show. I don't know. I mean, if- how about that point where, you know, she's working, she did a workout or whatever. She's like, oh man, that was such a tough workout. He's like, yeah, our definition of tough workout is quite a bit different, dude. Jay, you told us that you didn't have to be in good shape to play quarterback for the Miami Dolphins <laughs> last year. Jeez, you know, are yeah, you, you watching out the hard. show? Are you? Uh, hey man, I I, I I have my sources, you know. Oh, uh, you're hear watching. What, it. I hear what you're goes outed. on. I'm uh, sorry to out you. Um, the the best part of the show to me is that I was like, oh, you know, Kristen Cavallari is a, a big star. She's on Laguna Beach in the hills, but in Nashville is a great city, and she's building this awesome lifestyle brand and clothing brand. And I was like, you know what, you know, Jay's probably bankrolling some of this. And I was like, yeah, let me see how much money Jay Cutler made in his NFL career. And I was like, I ah, probably made 40, 40 million, 50 million. He made more than he that. He made like $150 million. I was like, of course this guy doesn't have to work a damn day in the rest of his life. Yeah, I, I wouldn't see why why he would. It's a good point. I think like one of the early in the episodes, he buys a house. I, I would say, I mean, it's a, it's a show f- for people to watch with their spouse it's got a little bit for everyone I, the only problem is a lot of the show it tries to be a little bit like another reality show vanderpump rules where it follows the workers of a of a restaurant this show follows the workers of her clothing so there's all like little love triangles and things like that which i'm not as into i'm, I'm mainly there for jay 
So, Eric, you can pick one, uh, Total Divas or Very Cavalry. Oh, man, that's a tough one. Um, as someone who just watched the Total Bella season and re- regrets watching every episode of it, um, I'll probably pick Very Cavalry. It's, wow. it's, more, it's, a, it's a more enjoyable show. Probably because of Jay Cutler. And now, Eric, you are getting ready for your NASCAR questions. Remember, we ask you about five or so questions that are in rapid-fire pace. You have about four to six seconds to answer them. What if I don't answer them in four to six seconds? Well, then. What? What happens? Then, then what happens? <laughs> well, then, then guess what? We're going to give Dill all of your <laughs> WWE collectibles, and he's going to stash them in his house, and he's going to love them. And you can go over there and look at them through the glass uh, curio cabinet. How's that sound? <laughs> Um, I'm crying tears right now. Woe is me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, first, which person should be removed from the WWE Hall of Fame? Pete Rose. Wow. That's a great one. All right. You asked me why or what what, do you mean? No, no, no. We we, we look at it at the the end. Okay. All right. Next question. Favorite football player? Saquon Barkley. Next question. Which WWE superstar should be in the Hall of Fame that isn't? Owen Hart. Is Bret Hart the greatest wrestler of all time? No. (laughs) That's a quick answer. Do you believe that the sax machine deserved to win the Grip Football Championship? Is it a yes or no question? Yes or no? Yes, asterisk. All right, and finally, who will be better this year, Scott Frost or P.J. Fleck? Scott Frost. All right, so let's take a look at some of your answers. (laughs) Most people spend their time arguing that Pete Rose should be put in the Hall of Fame, (laughs) and you're arguing that he deserved to be kicked out of the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I think he he set a bad precedent. I mean, I know it's not his choice, but I hate the celebrity wing of the WWE Hall of Fame because not so much I don't. I, I I think a lot of the celebrities I like them recon- recognizing celebrity involvement, um, but uh, every year, every year, like when they put in like Drew Carey or uh, I can't remember Arnold Schwarzenegger was Arnold in. Schwarzenegger, um, our, our president Donald Trump. Um, I should have said Donald Trump actually. Jeez. Um, I think it's just everyone. I was always like, "Why are they in the Hall of Fame?" It becomes a stupid argument. It's like, it's it's an entertainment company. They could put whoever they want in the Hall of Fame. But I think Pete, I, I think it's set a bad precedent because they feel like they have to do it every year now, and they don't have to do it every year. And eventually, the celebrity that they're going to put in is like, like Nick Cannon or something. I, I don't know. Yeah, it'll be some random person that like it'll be like. Uh you know, David Arquette or something like. Or he should be in. in. He's a Is champion. It? He should oh, be stop, in. Stop! 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 <laughs> All right. Um. You know, taking a look at your Owen Hart, your choice to be in the WWE Hall of Fame. Um. Well, where? What was your thinking on that? Well, I think I mean everyone who's a wrestling fan knows his contributions to the to the to the sport. Um. And he he was so talented and tactical. And he played a lot of roles. He wasn't just like, no offense to Bret Hart. I think Bret Hart is tremendous. I've met him. The glasses are supposed to be hanging in the Bender Cinema, but they're not. Well, but here, no. Bret's, Bret's extremely talented, and I think. But Owen was able to play 
goofy. He was able to play serious. He was able to do all that. And I think he, to, to some points, I think he's more talented than Brett. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, why should Brett have to do anything else? Because he is the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Are you saying that that is a lie? Is The Undertaker a dead man? Well, he certainly doesn't move very well in the <laughs> ring anymore, that's for sure. I follow him on Instagram now, so. Yeah, so you see him, he spoke to Texas last year. Tom Herman had him in. So <laughs> Helped him out big time last year on the field. Yeah, it didn't, didn't really help they looked him out. A little, they looked like they might have taken some of his powers. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, favorite favorite football player? Who? who? I said Saquon Barkley. Why, why Saquon over, you know, Kyle Brady over Kerry Collins. Well, I was thinking. I was. I was really thinking more current NFL players. Um, over Dak. Dak's got to prove it to me this year for me to put so Dak, favorite. Dak friendly offense. He's. he's I like. I, you, know, you know. You know. I like Dak. I. I think. I do like a big arm quarterback. Dak isn't that. Um, but I think it's a good year to see what Dak has. What what he what he's made of. Um, especially now that Zeke is back, I can't say I can't put Zeke as my favorite for obvious reasons. So I root for the, for the hometown, the Penn State kid. Um, you know, I even think, though he's on one of your favorite team's rivals. <laughs> well, I can respect. See, I, I'm a mature NFL fan. I can respect him when a favorite player is on a rival team. That's not what a football guy would say. <laughs> well, I'm post football guy. You know, like I'm I'm like the Renaissance football guy. I can I can. What do you, What do you mean? You were watching Matt Hardy videos. I was struggling. You were you're watching time. Matt Hardy videos this. while the Cowboys were still playing in the playoffs. It wasn't the playoffs. Was it? it was time out. It was like a September game. <laughs> I was. The Cowboys you know, were already out of it. You know, it, it was September 2016. You know, I was going through at the time, and I and I was looking for any moment of enjoyment, and and unfortunately, the Cowboys weren't bringing me enjoyment that Sunday. Wow. Yeah. So well. Again, Eric, thanks for being on the show. Oh, I thought I thought you were going to ask me about uh, the a- the yes asterisk. Yeah. Okay. So the the group <laughs> f- football, you know, the you know uh, the sax machine. Why do you think that they deserve an asterisk next to their name as champions? Well, I don't want to make a two inside joke here. I, I was going to make some remark about um, some of their new free agent acquisitions that they brought on to their team, but I won't do that. Um, I, I know I'm really happy. I'm really happy. I know it means a lot to to our friend Mike, who who really puts the team together every year. Um, so I am happy that the Sax Machines won. Um, I will say the competition when I played in the league was much harder. There were um, some very talented players who I heard weren't playing in the league this year. But you know, it's just kind of like you know. I think it's like when you expand playoffs in the Major League Baseball. You know, the Pirates, they they made the playoffs, technically. They didn't really make the playoffs, only made the wild card round. And I feel like, you know, with with a with a watered down talent pool, maybe they maybe they didn't have a, a as tough of a championship. But congrats on that championship. I know they did it without some players too, but you know, we paved the way for great success. All right. And that was the NASCAR section of the Eric Scarcella interview. And that is today's Poolside Genius episode. Thank you, Eric, for being here and being our co-host while Reams is on vacation off in the great land of New Jersey. Yeah, I'm glad I was able to make it work out. Mother Nature 
had had worse plans and the fact that, that you also don't have a pool that I wasn't able to have poolside genius and, and wine slushies. But I'm glad I was able to be here. I'm glad I was able to, to talk talk shop with you and I'll be looking forward to having Reams back on the podcast and hear hearing all uh how his trip was in Jersey. All right, yep. And enjoy. Thanks again for listening to the Poolside Genius Podcast. Don't miss out on spending time poolside, so subscribe using iTunes, Stitcher, or any other major podcast platforms. While you are subscribing, we appreciate any feedback and five-star reviews. Remember, when you're poolside, always dive in the deep end. Splash.